The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of News World, my guest today has had a legendary career as a college football coach for 40 years before being elected to the U.S. Senate by the people of Alabama. As a college football coach, he held positions as an assistant coach and defensive coordinator at the University of Miami and Texas A&M, before being named the head coach at the University of Mississippi. In 1998, he was named head coach at Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. He led the Auburn Tigers to five Western Division titles and one SEC championship, and he was named the 2004 National Coach of the Year. He has also held head coaching positions at Texas Tech and Cincinnati. After the 2016 season, he retired as one of the top 50 most winning football coaches of all time. In 2020, he ran for the U.S. Senate in the state of Alabama and won. I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Senator Coach Tommy Tuberville. And I want to start by just asking you, deep down, which title do you like more, coach or senator? Oh, definitely coach. It rings back over the years of what I grew up really wanting to do is be a football coach. I thought I was athletic, but I wasn't near as athletic as I thought I was when I got to places like Miami and Auburn and saw all these athletes come in and be around them every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I enjoyed being a senator. It's competitive. It runs very slow. I remember talking years ago when several people got into Congress and I talked to them about, you know, their thoughts about it. I said, well, it runs very slow. Coach Osborne from Nebraska told me, Tommy, it is going to tear you up knowing that you just can't get things done by the snap of your fingers like you could as a coach. But it's good. You're doing something for people. And I really enjoy that. The folks who were helping prepare for this weren't really sure. They were a little concerned that chatting shortly after Georgia beat Alabama might be a challenge. But I would think as the Auburn coach, you did not mind that outcome at all. Well, you know, I'm in politics now, Newt. I was for both, really, to be honest with you, because growing up in that state and being around coaches, I've been around Kirby Smart for the last 25 years as a player, as an assistant, and now as a head coach. Nick Saban and I have been friends since I don't know how long. And so I pull for all of them. I don't get on really anybody's side as a team. I kind of pull for coaches as much as I do anything. So 
I was kind of glad that Kirby won one and got that stigma off his back of, hey, getting close but not getting across the finish line. Nick's won quite a few. Nick will win more championships, I promise you. But they're both good friends, and I kind of stay out of that. I talk to them about certain things. I'll give them a call. But, again, football was my first love. Coaching was awesome. There's not a better job that if you're competitive, being a college football coach, I coached in high school as a head coach there, never coached in the pros, but being in a position that where you can build something around kids that are 18, 19, 20 years old, you have a $100 million budget, you're there to win games, to educate kids, and there's nothing more satisfying than a kid walking across the stage when he got to you. He was probably less than a sixth grade reading level, and then he graduated from college. He took tutoring every day to get his reading up. I mean, it was a grind just at that point, and then to turn around and do another full-time job, which was college sports. It is a grind, but it is satisfying to see success on and off the field. Well, you know, in that sense, the ability you have as a coach to recruit and then to grow these people and to watch them as they go on in life, as you look back over your career, you must have a number of friends who played for you and then went on to be remarkably successful in part because of the lessons they learned on the playing field. Yeah, and then that's the great thing about it. You see people come to you. Like I said earlier, you have some come that just education in our schools is not very good, and they have to do extra just to be able to survive in college and then to make it. You know, But one of the toughest things I've had leaving sports for 40 years, Newt, I never saw color in people. And here in Congress, every day you hear people distinguish from color of people, of whether it's minorities, Hispanics, or African-Americans. I struggle with that sometimes because I grew up in an age of coaching where you brought people in and they were your family, everybody. And then their parents were your family. And you pulled for everybody. And you built a group of people that came from all ideas in terms of urban areas, rural areas. And then you had to build that winning touch out of a team of all those people, they had to do their job. So that's one thing I've struggled with is here people up here just distinguish Americans to color. And it, whether you're white, black, red, it makes me no difference. I'm for everybody. And I think that's one of the paths that we've gone down that's really gotten us trouble to this point. I had a conversation a few weeks ago with Herschel Walker, and he said, you know, all this talk about color, he said, I want to make sure the other 10 guys on my team are good. And I don't care what their background is. He said, if you're good, we're going to win. And if you're not good, we're going to lose. So I'm looking at who can play, not who they are. And I thought it was a very useful way to sort of approach all this. What you said a while ago is very important. If young students out of poor backgrounds need tutoring, how do we build a system where every kid is treated as though they were a college athlete and we get them up to be able to read and to be able to get out of college and to be able to participate as opposed to dumbing down the system so nobody feels bad that they can't do anything. And I think you're in a very important role in that sense. I didn't realize that you actually were a golf athlete as well as a football athlete. I've always thought that there are remarkably different lessons in the two sports. Did you have that same experience that golfing just requires a totally different mindset than a team sport? Oh, well, there's no doubt about that. And, and I'm very fortunate. I had a dad that was, he's military. At age 18, Newt, he landed at Normandy. He drove a tank across Europe. He was awarded five bronze stars and a purple heart. And he stayed in the military all of his life. And, and matter of fact, he actually died on active duty in a training mission at age 53 over 45 years ago. But he was a guy of structure. And he played a little bit of golf. And I asked, Dad, how did you get into golf? I mean, we live in the country. You've been in the military. You probably had three or four different jobs. He says, golf will introduce you to more people in one day than you can meet in a month. And you can find out more about people playing golf in 18 holes than you can in a month's time. And so I got into it. It has helped me. My two kids, my two boys, I've pushed that on them. One of them likes it and one of them doesn't quite like it as much. But both will be glad that they learned a little bit of golf. Now, they're not good, and I'm not real good, but it gives you a chance to compete around people that you'll get to know a lot better in any other situation that you could be in. I find that it teaches you, if you'll let it, an immense amount of patience. 
Oh, there's no doubt about that. Again, I've played for now, what, 50 years, and there's days I go out there and I play like I've never played before. I've got that, for some reason, instilled in me that you can't beat me. Sooner or later, I'm going to work hard enough and do the most I can to get better, to have that little edge over you when I play you next time. It's about being competitive. I was going to say, you really are competitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll go out there and my wife will say, what are you going to do? I said, well, I played so bad yesterday. I'm going out. I'm going to hit 500 balls today. You're in your 60s. I mean, you know, you're in the fourth quarter of life and you're still worried about hitting a golf ball? I said, yeah, because I do not like losing. I think that's a great trait from my parents that I got, my mom and my dad. Yeah, we were very fortunate. Recently, we did a podcast with Jack Nicholas. And talking with him about what he'd learned and how he'd learned it. And he said a very similar thing to you. He said, you will learn so much more about a person, what they're like, whether or not they'll cheat, what their personality is on the golf course. And he said it's so efficient in that sense. I'm curious, because the Senate is such a uniquely different place. Is that competitive edge an advantage or a disadvantage in dealing with the Senate? Well, it's hard on me. You know, I felt... For one of the few times in my first year in the Senate, a win last night when we were playing defense. You know, we blocked the filibuster. And we got Joe Manchin and Christian Sinema. And, you know, I've used my skills as a recruiter since I've been here of trying to talk people on the left of, don't do this. You know, come over to us. You know, understand what all people want in this country, not just half. And that's what the filibuster is. You know, the filibuster to me is it's not to pass bills that, People look at say it could help. It's to not pass bad bills. It's to block it. And, that, of course, that's what we're in the mode of right now, being in the minority in the Senate, is to block a bad bill. And, you know, I think we've passed a couple of bills that we shouldn't have passed, but that's part of it. I mean, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But last night was a big win, not just for the Senate, not just for Washington, D.C., but for all people across this country and across this world that we allow the minority to speak in the United States Senate. I've been a little surprised at the stubbornness of the left on this, because when you pass things, and we've been through 20 years of this now, when you pass things by a very narrow margin, you sort of split the country, and it's hard to get them to then agree that they are going to come together in the implementation of whatever you just rammed through. And in that sense, the Senate rules, I say this as a creature of the House, but the Senate rules are a very important balancing part of the whole system. But they also make it more difficult and more challenging. You know, rules are important in everything we do, in family life, in going to school, in sports. I kind of compare the filibuster to the opportunity of both teams having four downs to make 10 yards. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to change that and give the majority of the party five or six downs to make 10, but leave the rest of us at four down to make 10 yards. And that's not how this country was built. It was built on the foundation of all people having a voice. And, you know, 10 votes doesn't sound like a lot, but you know as well as I do, 10 votes in the United States Senate gives you a big voice. But they wanted to do away with it, and I was a little surprised that we only had two Democrats that voted against it. I never dreamed where there would be some of these people that I've talked to that would want to do away with the rules, to change them in midstream. When just a year or so ago, they begged the Republicans not to bust the filibuster. And, you know, it's just, it's sad we've gotten to this point. And I think that's what this pandemic's done to us, Newt. I think it's changed a lot of things in all of our lives that we're looking at it through different set of glasses in the last two years. And the American people just need government to get the hell out of the way so we can get through this pandemic. It's almost like a certain sense of desperation has grown up, particularly on the left, that this is their last chance, and if they can't somehow ram it through, they can't make it work. I just sense as I listen to them talk, as I watch their maneuvers, that this is a very long process of self-government. And as I think Mitt Romney said the other day, if we end up back in control, you guys are going to really be very sad that you took away your best defense at making us negotiate with you. He said, you know, are any of you thinking beyond this November? And I thought he would actually hit the greatest weakness in their current strategy, which is playing. And I think as a coach, you knew this because you always knew there was a next game and there was a next season. No single event 
was decisive in terms of ending history. It was just one more step. Are you able to get any of that sense of kind of calm continuity over? We try to. I think even on both sides, you know, sometimes we can be hard-headed on our side. But I think at the end of the day, if we all look at in the eyes of the people that we're helping, I think if you look at last night, I think what you were looking at was a group of Democrats that were looking at an election, trying to get reelected instead of helping all of the American people. They wanted to control this voting rights, which get out of the way federal government and let the states run it. That's what should happen. They know that. Most of them know that. But again, they wanted to change the rules of the game. And to me, the Senate is like, for us right now, we're both even. But the Democrats have the home team and they have the home team advantage. We're playing on the road every day. But we still should have an opportunity to win. If we play well, we explain it well, we communicate. And if we did away with that filibuster, we wouldn't even be on the field. I mean, it'd be the home team had all the referees, had all the fans, had the rules. They could change it at any time. And so that's the way I looked at it. But I think we're making some progress. You know, I sat down with Joe Manchin last night after he made his speech and getting ready to vote. He's obviously discouraged that some more people didn't come with him when that happened. But again, it only takes a few up here. It only takes a few. And you can make a real difference. And he and Christian Cinema made a huge difference in the lives of all Americans last night about 10.30 Eastern time on the Senate floor. Yeah, I was surprised that Mark Kelly did not vote with Cinema. I think that running for re-election this year, that, that gives Kelly a pretty big extra problem to carry with him. And I think she's very impressive. She's clearly much quieter than Manchin, but she seems to me very solidly sure of who she is. Yeah, she's very strong. She's strong-willed. You can talk to her. Her and I have argued about a couple of things that I put on the floor and she put on the floor. At the end of the day, she wants to help people. And I think she saw the light here that helping people the best here was to keep the filibuster. To help more people, we cannot bust the filibuster. You know, you can help some, but you're not going to help as many as you possibly could if you give the minority a voice. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on... 
the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's part of this long story of America that you've got to have a way to guarantee that everyone can participate. And as President Washington supposedly said to then Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson, you know, the Senate was the cooling saucer to the hot cup of coffee coming out of the House. Now, since I was Speaker of the House, I kind of favored the hot cup of coffee. But I really came to believe in the balance of the two legislative branches and the way that each played off the other to produce better legislation. I mean, if you can't write something good enough to get through the House and to get through a filibuster, probably it shouldn't pass. You know, probably it's not ripe. Yeah, and don't do something just to be doing it. I've seen that here. I've seen bills put up said, you know, why would we do that? Why would we even waste our time doing that? It doesn't need to be done. I think there's a lot of that up here that we could go back and, look at. It's kind of like this infrastructure bill that we did last year. I voted against it. And of course, a lot of people in my state coach, you voted against infrastructure. No, I didn't vote against infrastructure. I voted against the Green New Deal. I voted against wasting billions of dollars of your taxpayer money. If they'd have come out and said, listen, put people back to work. The best way to do this is pass a trillion dollar infrastructure bill that's actually infrastructure. It's roads, bridges, water, dams, All those things that go along with it, hey, I'm all in. But 10% of that monstrosity was for infrastructure, and it's like putting Band-Aid on a 10-inch gash in your arm. It's not going to do a whole lot. And it's just up here we do something to just make a statement, and we'll do something this year. My thought after being here one year, Newt, is listen, instead of passing all these new bills, how about we fix the programs that we've already put money into? Because I've seen programs out there that are useless that we're flushing money down the drain. We keep adding these bureaucrats here in Washington, D.C. and all over the country, and they're not working. And let's fix the ones that aren't working before we add more to our system. And again, that's the Democrats want to do it, and a lot of Republicans want to do that. They're in on it as well. Well, I think that approach would actually liberate an amazing amount of money. I mean, if you could recapture all the money either being stolen or being wasted First of all, you'd be a big step towards a balanced budget, but also you'd have a dramatically better government. The oversight note is what is amazing. As you just said, the wasteful spending, the money that's gone out. I saw something in one of our committees the other day that we received over $400 billion of the money that we put in unemployment, federal unemployment. $400 billion has been stolen through fraud in this country. I'm not talking about million. I'm talking about $400 billion, and there's no oversight. Who's looking into that? California alone, at one point, very early, had $30 billion stolen in unemployment insurance. 
And we just kind of brush it off, say, hey, we can print more money. We'll just go on down the road. Don't worry about it. But there's no accountability here of how we handle the taxpayer's money. I talked with the district attorney in Sacramento who has been digging into the California theft. And she said it looks like most of the money in California, the $32 billion that was stolen, was stolen by criminals who were in the state prison using the state's computers to engage in identity theft and then having friends outside the prison go pick up the checks. I mean, to steal $32 billion, you have to have a lot of people doing something. I don't know what the total state budget of Alabama is, but $32 billion is an amazing amount of money for one state to have stolen. And yet nothing was done. In fact, the person in charge of that program was promoted by Biden to be the head of a federal program. It's astonishing. I have to ask you, because in a sense, as you pointed out earlier, you guys have been playing defense recently. But that sort of fit, because early in your career, I think you were the defensive coordinator both at the University of Miami and at Texas A&M. You also, when you became head coach at Ole Miss, I've been told that you were known as the riverboat gambler because you were very aggressive at play calling, and including on fourth down. How do you, in your own head, balance everything you learned about defense with the fact that you were willing to be such a risk taker once you were the head coach? Well, it's people you learn from, Newt. I was very fortunate. I'd been in coaching in high school and an assistant at a small college, and Jimmy Johnson hired me at the University of Miami back in 1985 back when the good old days in Miami where we were in the top one, two, or three every year for like 10, 15 years. And Jimmy put me in charge of special teams as well as working on defense. And he loved special teams. We'd work on it. And one of the first impressions he made on me was you can do two things. You can give yourself a chance to win on special teams, sometimes when you don't think you do, and you can also change the momentum. And so – when I got to Ole Miss, we weren't very good. We had very few players. Program had been run down. I brought in a young staff. We worked hard. We brought it up. But I pretty much told the staff and the players early in my career there, listen, we're going to have a tough time winning games, and we're going to have to do things different. We're going to have to go for fourth downs anywhere on the field. We're going to have to kick onside kicks, fake field goals, fake punts. But you don't just do it to surprise them. You work on it. And that week, what you do is you go into a team meeting and say, listen, here's what we're going to do. And this is why we're going to do it. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, defense, you better, you know, if the fake punt doesn't work, you just got to know that, hey, this wasn't a gamble. This was a preconceived notion that we had to change the momentum and win the game. And, you know, I went for fourth down one game at Georgia. And we were ahead at halftime. We had no business being ahead. We were an average team, but our kids played hard. I loved every one of them. And at halftime, I went out and told the coaches, talk to them, make your changes. I'm going to make a speech right before we go out. And so right before we go out, I brought the team up and give them a few words of advice. And I brought the punter up. I said, take your uniform off. And he looked at me like I was crazy. I said, take your uniform off. And I told the rest of the team, we don't have a punter. Offense, we're not punting. We're going fourth down anywhere on the field. And defense, you've got to be prepared to go. And Right off the bat, they kicked off to us. Georgia did. We're playing at Sanford Stadium and run the ball out to about the 13-yard line. Kid should have down in the end zone, but he didn't do it. We ran a few downs, and it ended up fourth and like two uh, around our own 20. And I'm thinking, boy, you have stuck your foot in your mouth now. You know, they, of course, 85,000 screaming bulldogs. And I said, let's go. Uh, I told the offensive quarter, run your best play. We ran a playoff tackle, ran about 40 yards. We did it four times in the second half and won the game because Georgia very seldom had the ball. So it's something like that that you have to do to sacrifice, maybe go against the odds, but to try to win. Winning at doing stuff that's a little bit different. Well, frankly, the Republican Party could use a little bit of coaching advice about that. I thought it was very interesting that in his press conference, I mean, one of the themes that Biden has figured out is, you know, so what's the Republican alternative? And I think, frankly, we're going to have to come up with five or six positive things that the average American actually wants, then say, you know, let's talk about alternatives. You're for inflation. Here's what we're for. You know, you're for gasoline going out of price. Here's what we're for. I think we can win that argument. I think what we can't do is win an argument of hiding. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves because there are some elements of the party that don't believe in ever gambling. They would actually punt on second down if they could. But I'm curious. I'm a movie buff. And I understand that you had a cameo 
in the film The Blind Side. What was that like? How did you end up being a cameo? I learned a lot about movies in about three days. I'd just gotten out at Auburn and getting ready to go to work for ESPN. The phone rang one day, and Fred Smith, the CEO of FedEx, who's a good friend, called me and said, listen, coach, I need your help. I need you to help in getting a few coaches to work with me on a film. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, my daughter graduated from UCLA, and she's got a production company now, and I've got the rights of this book. It was written out of Memphis. It's a sports book, and it's called The Blind Side. I said, yeah, I know about it. He said, well, all you guys that were in this book, the original names of recruiting Michael Orr, who was a player, I'd love for everybody to be in it. I want the movie to be about real life and real coaches and people kind of see what goes on recruiting. So we got Nick Saban and Philip Fulmer and Houston Nutt and Ed Orgeron. There was a bunch of us. I think about eight of us that were in it. Lou Holtz. So we went over and we filmed it in Atlanta and for three days. And I tell you, the organization of a film and you talking about patience, you have to have a lot of patience because you might shoot one little scene of 10 seconds, 30 times. You might be there half a day. But you know, we had a great time and learned a lot from that. And you know, actually, the director of the film was a football player that played at Baylor. And there was a lot of sports connections, but we had a fun time. Lou Holtz entertained all of us as we sat around and talked and ate and had a good time for about three days. I think Holtz never runs out of stories. <laughs> no. No, it's sort of his stock and trade. Yeah. One of my favorite games, Newt, was I was at Miami, and we're going to play Lou Holtz in 1988, and we'd beat Lou a couple years before Lou had got there, and actually the coach got fired and Lou got the job, and Jimmy Johnson, Notre Dame, wasn't a big fan of his because of beating him that bad. So we go and play him in South Bend, as called the Catholics versus Convicts game. It was an unbelievable game. We had a fight in a tunnel before the game. It was a huge ploy by Lou Holtz. He sent his players in right on top of ours, and he'll argue with that point, but he did. We got out of the fight, got in the dressing room, but it was the most well-played. Wasn't a 15-yard penalty in the game. Players helping each other up, and it was about winning. And it was about whoever played the best won the game. Unfortunately for us, we lost. We had to go for two with about 10 seconds to go. We didn't make it. We lost the game. And Lou Holtz won a national championship. The last one, Notre Dame's won. Lou was an icon, still is. And, you know, I've read every book and listened to every speech that he's given. And I know all of his jokes. He's a good person. He's remarkable. It's a little tough, I think, for a lot of teams to end up at South Bend with touchdown Jesus at the end of the stadium. <laughs> you feel like the game is slightly rigged against you. When you're at Notre Dame. It's a true home field advantage, I promise you that. That's exactly right. But, you know, on the other hand, I mean, you came an amazingly powerful tradition at Auburn. We have several friends who've worked with me who can yell War Eagle pretty darn well. And the loyalty that Auburn creates is amazing. Was that the biggest single advantage you had when you decided to run for the Senate? I think probably so. If you go back and look at what's great about college football, Newt, is it separates itself from pros. Pros is a business. College, hopefully we can work out of these problems that we're getting in college recruiting right now, paying players and transferring. But that being aside, the difference in college and pros is tradition about the things that you have, the sayings, the loyalty that fans have to their schools. I mean, you go to Sanford Stadium in Georgia, you got to take your lunch. You know, you know you're going to get a rash going in the stadium and out of the stadium. People are going to rock your buses. Same thing at Tuscaloosa, same thing at Auburn. But it's the pride people have, and it brings people together. There's no color in the stands other than what your team colors are. People, they laugh together, they cry together, they pull for their teams. And that's the reason I loved it so much. But unfortunately, this woke attitude that we're getting across our country right now is creeping into athletics, especially college. And we better be careful or we're going to lose what we've had in college sports for the last 100 years. We're going to lose that and we're going to become a NFL. And we don't want that. We don't want to be a minor league team or a minor league program. We want to have a college program that kids get a great education, learn how to deal with other people and obviously make money. Now, people don't know this, but really very few sports in college make any money other than football. Football pays for almost every sport, Olympic sports, women's sports. There's some basketball teams that make a little, but not many. 
So that's why the importance of college football across this country needs to stand. We don't need to be changing the rules, and we're kind of changing them as we go. And I've talked to some of my buddies, and they are very disappointed of what's happening within the college ranks as we speak. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You had a remarkable career, and then you decided to run for the U.S. Senate. That must have been a big decision. In 2016, I was coaching at Cincinnati. My son was playing at Auburn. I had one son that was still in high school. And there was a phenomenon back then called Donald Trump. And 
I love this country, Newt, and I love all people. I don't care whether they're Democrat, Republican, black, white, it makes no difference. I want my kids to have the same opportunities I had because I grew up in a poor family and I ended up making a lot of money and having success, but I did it because what I learned from my family and this country gave me that. This country gives you one thing and that's it, an opportunity. It doesn't owe you one other thing. I used to tell my players that. Don't look for a check. Don't look for a hand up. Look for an opportunity to get knocked down and then that opportunity to get back up. That's what this country gives you. So I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed working my way up and making things happen and believing in people around me, but also putting people around me that believed in the same things. And I think that's a huge point. But college sports is one of the things that makes this country thrive. I don't think people give it enough credit. Everybody doesn't get to play college sports, but everybody can be associated with it through working around college sports or with the people in college sports or just being a fan of supporting a certain team. So somebody said you had commented that running for the Senate was the hardest thing you ever did. Right. Well, when President Trump won in 2016, I retired from football, worked for ESPN. One day my wife walked by and she said, you know, this has been in my house for over 30 years and it's not going to be years now. Don't be sitting here reading the paper and a cup of coffee. Go get you a job. So I took her for a word and President Trump, I didn't know him at that time, but I watched what he was doing, how he was bringing people together in a different way, like a football coach, not like a politician and what he believed in. Sometimes he got a little bit harsh, but sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes head football coaches have to do that. I love Alabama. And I said, you know, I'm going to run for governor of Alabama. I think I can win. My wife said, well, I think you can too. As I started looking around for about three months, after about the third month, you know, I'm getting ready to maybe announce or do something. And then our governor got in trouble. They moved him out and they moved Kay Ivey, our present lieutenant governor up at that time, to be governor. My wife said, you're out. You're not running against her. And I said, well, you know best. So I decided not to do it. And then, of course, we elected a Democrat for the first time in years in the Senate. And I said, well, this will be my opportunity. So for two years, Newt, I went out and recruited. People knew who I was. I walk into a room. I could get a crowd, but I had to tell them why I was doing it and why I should do it and why they should vote for me. And so I had to sell myself for two years as being somebody that wanted to go help not just Auburn fans, but Alabama fans. I'd go to places and they said, coach, you know, why should I vote for you? I'm an Alabama fan. You beat us six times in a row. You stuck thumbs up in the air and all that. And I said, well, just think about this. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have Nick Saban because I got the rest of them fired. I beat them all. And so it, that was kind of my go-to, you know, when I talked to Alabama fans. But we ran hard and won fairly easy. I beat a congressman, Jeff Sessions, and then I beat a sitting senator being a football coach. And so they gave me the opportunity and I'm going to make the best of it. And I come every day with my work clothes on, going to work here in Washington, D.C., trying to make things better for the people of Alabama and this country. Well, you've got, for a freshman, some pretty impressive assignments. You're on armed services, health, education, labor, and pensions, agriculture, nutrition, and forestry, and veterans affairs. you got a pretty full plate for a freshman. Yeah, armed services has been great. We have five military bases in our state. We have 5,000 defense contractors. We make ships for the Navy. We have NASA, we have the Missile Defense Agency in Huntsville. I've traveled around the world twice in a year, Newt. I've been to Ukraine. I've sat with the president of Ukraine, talked to him about what's going on right now. And I've sat with the president of Taiwan, and we've talked about the future of Taiwan. I've talked with all the commanders across the world. Admiral Aquilino, the head of the Indo-Pacific, is a great guy. And I believe he's the guy that's going to get us through this mess with China and Taiwan. Right now, the urgency is Ukraine. They need help. Zelensky told me and John Cornyn four months ago, we need sanctions now. We don't need to wait till they come because they're coming. And what are we going to do when they get here? It'll be over for us. But I tell you, armed service is great. I've had five chances to interview Dr. Fauci and the Education Health Committee and Dr. Walensky and trying to help work through this mess that we're in with this pandemic. I'm on the Veterans Committee. We have 400,000 veterans in Alabama. I love veterans. My dad obviously was a vet I'm on the agriculture committee. And, you know, we're 60, 70 percent ag in our state in Alabama, as you are in Georgia. And we need help in ag. We need to be able to produce our own food. And what's happening is China's coming in, buying our farmland, 
other entities are buying our farmland. We need the small farmer to survive. We lose the small farmer in this country. I'd hate to see the future because that's the backbone of what we do, how we do it, and that's why we're the free nation that we are. Well, I think that's right. In the end, nothing replaces courage. I always remind people at the ending of the first stanza of our national anthem, Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, and that without bravery, you're not going to stay free. And I think sometimes we forget that and we hope that the world will become soft. And I think having people like you there who understand the reality of being tough and who understand from your father's experience the importance of being strong is a huge, huge asset. I have to ask you one last question. You went to Auburn. At a time, you were following some coaches who had been pretty famous. At some point, maybe a half century from now, the University of Alabama will have to replace Saban. What would your advice be for somebody who's showing up after a legend? Be your own self. You know, so many people go into these situations, Newt, and they try to be the former coach or the former president or the former senator or the former CEO of a company. you got to be yourself. You can't be anybody else. Don't try to invent the wheel. Do what you know. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. One of the reasons I got into this job was I spent 40 years going into high schools and colleges across this country. Newt, we're in trouble. You've heard me say this before. Education is the key to freedom in our country, and we're losing that. But I think you learn a lot of things, obviously, in education and on your own. So to answer your question, you know, whoever takes over for Nick, I don't think he'll ever retire. He's doing so great. He's he's one of the best I've ever been around, but he's going to be hard to replace. But again, whoever does that is going to have to go in and be themselves. It's amazing to watch him and in a sense to watch how calm he is. I mean, the other night after the Alabama-Georgia game, he just said, look, we're really evenly matched. He said, probably Georgia would win seven out of 10 games and we'd win about three out of 10 games for these two teams. The question is, which game is it? And tonight was theirs. The last time we met was ours. But he was so calm about it that it's a mark of somebody who's really, I think, very self-confident. The great coaches, if you'll ever know this, and people in any kind of power, accept reality. They don't live in another world. They don't live on something that's not reality. As a coach, you have to face reality of what you see and what you can control. He had some bad injuries to some of his receivers, but he saw his players play their heart out. And you don't want to lose that with your players, understanding how hard they played. They didn't lose it. They just got beat. They did the best they could. And great coaches understand that. It's like President Biden yesterday. You know, I want the guy to be successful. I mean, this is my country. Don't get up there and tell me how great they've done. I mean, take some blame. Say, this is what we've done. We're going to change this. We're going to do different. We're going to make some moves here. If we continue down the path that we're going, and nobody takes blame for this, we're going to be in a world of hurt. We already are. And the same thing as any coach. If a coach like Nick, if somebody else had been coaching, come out and start blaming other people and look in other directions, Newt, then you're not ever going to come to reality of what it really is. You live in a, a fantasy world. So I think there's a lot of correlation to you know what happened to Nick. He's most successful coach I've ever been around. Very good friend. He knows how to get it done, but he lives in reality. Hey, they got beat. They got beat in a game and that they had a chance, but they just didn't play well enough, coach well enough, and the other team, you got to give them credit. Well, the same thing with our country. You can't pass blame off. You're the leader. We got to have adults in the room over in the White House. We don't have many. And we got to step up and say, okay, we're not doing very well in some of these areas. And we've got to change course because we owe it to the people of our country, like Nick and the coaches owe to their players and their fans. Listen, it's very refreshing to talk with somebody who is as grounded as you are. And I hope maybe a year from now, we can come back and have another chat about what you'll have learned by then and what your advice for the country will be. It's truly very impressive to have you serving in the Senate and to have you bring to bear all the skills you've acquired in a lifetime of recruiting and coaching and nurturing people. So maybe if you do enough recruiting and coaching and nurturing in the Senate, it'll be a somewhat different and better place because you're there. Well, I've enjoyed it. I hope this time next year, we're going to go through another year and try to get out of this pandemic and try to solve the problems for the American people. That's the reason we're here. But hopefully this time next year that I'm on the team that's the home team 
<laughs> that has a little bit more power than what we have right now where we play some offense, but also work with the other side. I mean, we've got to do that. We've got to understand that we're all Americans. And if we get away from that, and I see a lot of indications that we're moving the wrong direction with that, Newt, this country will not survive as you and I had the opportunity to grow up in and know it. And again, a lot of that starts with education. You know, every day I try to give some kind of talk or speech or some kind of idea of how we can make our education better. But again, what's education about? It's about people, like football teams. It's about people. Senate, it's about people. Right now we're so divided. Hopefully we can be less divided this time next year when we talk going into my third year. Great. Look forward to it. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you, Newt. Had a great time. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you to my guest, Senator Coach Tommy Tuberville. You can learn more about Coach Tuberville's work in the U.S. Senate on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.